Hey, uh, welcome to my mom's basement. Um, this is the podcast where I read you short stories that are being recorded in my mom's basement. Um, I'm your host, David Chamberlain, and thanks for being here. This is our first episode, so pretty exciting. Um, this episode is brought to you by no one but me, because we don't have a sponsor yet, you know, but that's that's the dream, right? One day. Um, anyways, why don't we just dive right in? So this first story is called The Man Who Gathered the World, or A Brief Summary of Tori Quarrel and the Calandrago Incident, written by, well, written by me, uh, David Chamberlain. Thank you. Tori Quarrel, often known as the Writer's Writer, used to have tea at 4.30 every morning right as he woke. No sugar, no cream, just the tea and water. At 4.35, he would sit down at his typewriter, which was nothing more than an antique handed down from his mother's side, and write. It was at this time, at this typewriter, that Tory Quarrel would change the world. Most of you are familiar with his writings. They're satirical, topical, potent. His writings helped shape the neo-Renaissance of the mid to late 22nd century. His contemporaries, Jason Paul, Arthur Arturo, and of course the most famous Dennis White, all regarded Quarrel as the most talented, most inspired, and the most important writer of the neo-Renaissance. His best friend and confidant, Dennis White, once described his writing in an interview. This is what he had to say. It's not like, it's not like my writing. I'm a great writer. I'm a genius. I know that. But Quarrel is beyond that. He's not a genius. He's, he's... He just tells things exactly as they are, and that's a damn hard thing to do as a writer, you know? Quarrel's first novel, Up the Chimney, Out the Mouth, was not only a critical success, winning 12 of the 13 major literary awards of that year, but also a stunning commercial success. People around the globe began to don the green socks and spectacles that were so aptly worn by the book's protagonist, Black Black Barkley. The book's recurring line, kiss me with your hands, massage me with your tongue, began to be plastered on walls, hung in dorm rooms, and spoken by every romantic on the planet. Tory was soon to become the most famous writer of the century, if not the millennia. The famed essayist, Boris Chamberlain, grandson of the old film actor David Chamberlain, had this to say when Tory's debut novel first hit the shelves. His clarity and wit are unmatched. I also dig the sex scenes. It wasn't before long that Tory would begin mingling with the intelligentsia of the time. Arthur Arturo first met Tory at a party held at porn star Kimmy Kinky's house. Although held in lower regard than the pornographers at the time, novelists were still seen in the background of their intellectual gatherings. Arthur Arturo had this to say about his first interaction with Tory. He was huge. I had no idea. Here comes this lumbering giant, and I thought, oh, this must be some kind of athlete or model or something. But no. It was Tory Quarrel. He had to be at least six foot five. Arthur's approximation was very close. Tory was six foot six inches in height and almost three hundred pounds, most of that weight being, of course, pure muscle. His good looks and prominent stature helped to establish Tory not only as a literary figure, but as an international heartthrob and sex icon. When his second book was released, every bookstore in the world was practically mobbed and looted. The second book, The Secrets of Living in an Incandescent Light Bulb, was quite literally an immediate success. Having already won the Nobel Prize for Literature, the Nobel Committee granted him the Nobel Peace Prize, as well as the Nobel Prize for Physics. You see, it was in this novel that Tory proposed the idea of chemical dihydrocurrency. This theory never worked in practice, but was so attractive in theory that he was awarded the prize anyway. Dennis White had this to say about Tory's second novel. It was good. He added some more sex scenes. 
can't complain. It was at this point, at the height of his prowess and international popularity, that Tori took a hiatus from writing. For almost 20 years after his second novel was published, he didn't write. He didn't do much of anything. One reporter for the New Chicago Times interviewed Tory during what has become known as the Great Doldrum. In the interview, he questioned Tory about his inactivity. This is what Tory had to say. Well, I used to like to write. I probably still do. I don't know. I just don't really feel like it right now. It was said that Arthur Arturo would trek to Tory's house every day during the Great Doldrum to try and coerce him back into writing. But Tory always told Arthur he didn't feel like it. He was working on something else. That something else would, of course, turn into Tory's penultimate and perhaps greatest work. It was a non-fiction piece called The Mysticism of the Calendragos. This third great work of Tory's laid the groundwork of his mystic theology and religion. I'm afraid that my prose is far too lacking to try and describe the intricacies of the religion. So here's an excerpt from the book in which Tory explains quite beautifully what Calendragos are. So it's like this. The human race used to be one big old animal. And then the animal got blown to bits, and we all basically are little tiny pieces of that animal. So if we were all to like try to put ourselves together, like got all 32 billion of us, and, and we all had sex at the same time, then it would be possible to like make ourselves a calendrogo again. Tori went on to explain that there used to be seven calendrogos that roamed the earth. One human, one mammal, one reptilian, one amphibian, one bird-like, one plant-like, and one that was a fish. All of the calendrogos got blown up by ancient alien hunters that used giant laser guns. Some people said that Tori's theories were flawed because of childbirth or reproduction or rational logic, but Tori said that they were being stupid, and most of them quickly agreed with him. This became Tori's most popular novel as it turned sex into religion. Almost everyone in the world had the three Tory books on their shelves. Tory's books, as Jason Paul once said, were stitches that held together an international fabric. After the release of the third book, well, Tory became a prophet. He spoke as an enlightened figure, as someone who has changed the world, and indeed, Tory had. Due to his large and powerful physical stature and his wonderful way with words, Tory was able to hypnotize and entice the entire world. The world went from fanatical to evangelical, and soon the mysticism of the Calendrago became a universal religion, the first religion practiced since the abandonment of Christendom nearly 80 years prior. One Sunday afternoon, on a cold day in January, Tory wrote a small proclamation that is now known to the world as the Transformation Proclamation. The proclamation proposed that exactly 18 years after the release of Tory's holy book, there should be a gathering. This date was chosen so that everyone would be of proper age at the time of the gathering. Proper age meaning old enough to participate in the necessary rituals. He declared that everyone must cease reproduction so that the calendrago wouldn't be broken into more bits and so there wouldn't be any children present at the gathering. Tory went on to propose that everyone in the world should meet in his hometown of Idaho Falls, Idaho, and it would be there and then that they would be able to transform back into their original form, their ancient, almighty calendrago form. He said that 18 years should be enough for everyone to get their travel plans in order. Of course, moving 32 billion people is no small feat. Tribes from the Amazon had to be found and tamed. Tory dissenters had to be bribed or dominated. Poor people had to be convinced to spend their entire life savings, etc., etc. But within five years after the transformation proclamation was released, Idaho Falls had become the largest city in the world, dwarfing Mumbai by two billion people.
Everywhere people had signs, stickers, and hats which read, Idaho or no Calandrago. Entire nations were abandoned, governments were dissolved, great companies liquidated. Ancient monuments and invaluable religious relics and historical sites were left completely unguarded. People said that for weeks at a time, the sky would turn black from the amount of aircraft and other flying machines making the pilgrimage to Idaho Falls. A permanent canyon has been left in the desert between Idaho and California, where an estimated 13 billion people traveled on foot from the western coast. All 31,000 colonists on the lunar and Martian outposts had to vacate their colonies and travel back to Earth, some leaving work in scientific endeavors that they had spent their entire lives toiling over. One of these colonists, one Patricia Lexington, had this to say on her return to Earth. You could see it from space. No joke. It looked like the planet had a giant undulating birthmark right on southern Idaho. It was insane. Long dark ropes of what could only be automobiles and convoys making their way to Idaho Falls stretched out all across North America. The oceans were speckled with giant dark splotches that were fleets of ships, possibly two or three hundred thousand vessels deep. Just just crazy, crazy stuff. Tori, as one could well imagine, was very excited. Here are some of the profound words Tori had to say about this time. I, uh, I walked through the streets of my town and there were like a ton of people. It was totally crazy. And I, I was thinking, you know, this thing could really work. In that last year, great expedition parties went to the four corners of the globe searching for anyone who had been left behind. Many small villages were evacuated and one tribe of Eskimos had to be violently beaten until they acquiesced. One of the men on the expedition team who went around taming and apprehending the wildest of village dwellers had this to say about his experience. It's like they had never heard of Tory Quarrel. I would say, hey, what the hell are you guys still doing here? It's been almost 18 years. And they just look at me like I was speaking in tongues or something. Can you believe that? By the time the great date had arrived, everyone in the world had somehow made their way to Idaho Falls, Idaho. No real photos exist of this event. As photographer Matthew Tolley said, There was so many people. I would try to take a photo and I would just get the back of someone's head. So frustrating. Plus, I was stuck with a few million Guatemalans the whole time, too. And let me tell you, they did not want to be photographed. On the day of the transformation, Tori walked out on a podium and addressed the 35 billion men and women, as there are no children anymore. His voice was translated into all of the spoken languages at the time. Speakers had been placed throughout the city and everyone heard his glorious instruction, Okay, everyone, let's start having sex with each other. Everyone followed Tori's directions, and after 39 hours of continued, uninterrupted intercourse, no transformation had taken place, and riots began to ensue. People began to be killed at an alarming rate, and Tori started to think that maybe he had gone wrong somewhere. All in all, only about 17% of the world's total populace, or 5,950,000,000 people, were killed as a result of the Calandrago riots. Tori led a quiet life after that. He resigned from his religion and disavowed anyone who continued to follow the mysticism of the Calandrago, saying, Look, it didn't go how I wanted. Sorry, I I think maybe I was wrong. When the international police questioned him about the loss of human life, they decided no conviction would be necessary. The superintendent of the international police force had this to say after interrogating Tori. He was a nice guy. He didn't mean anything by it. Just think of all the tourism he brought to his hometown. I mean, he united the world. Really a great guy. And very, very sexy, too. 
Tori stayed in his home on the edge of Idaho Falls for the rest of his days, and during the redispersal of the human race, he worked on his final and perhaps worst novel. It was titled, The Air That Chokes the Very Embers of Hephaestus. It was about a bunny that wanted to live like a man, but couldn't because he didn't have the proper sexual organs. It was received with dismal critical reviews. One review from the Houston Examiner said, Tori has lost it. I don't know what he was thinking with this one. No sex scenes. Yuck. Even Tori's closest friend, Dennis White, had this to say of his last novel. When you have a protagonist that can't have sex, you have a seriously poor novel on your hands. Tori was deeply affected by the poor acceptance of his last novel, and he decided he would never write again. Tori was seen throwing his typewriter into the garbage, and as Arthur Arturo said, He was never the same man again. The man who gathered the world couldn't even leave his house. What a shame. Tori was found dead in his bed at the age of 87. He had died of a heart attack. In his bedside table, there was a note that read, Sorry about the Calandrago thing. I thought it would work. I really thought it would have. Tori's friend, Dennis Shepard, spoke at his funeral. This is some of what he said. Tori was a great guy, super witty, super fun dude. All the girls liked him. You gotta respect him for that. And even though a lot of people died at his hand, he was never beat up about it. He went on writing and writing, never stopping. I think we could learn a lot from his kind of perseverance. Tori's writing will stay with us forever. Well, except for that last novel with the bunny. That one was dumb as hell. Thank you for listening to this episode of From My Mom's Basement. Um, This was written and edited by me. And the music is by the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll see you next time.